Hello, Varmidians. This is Paul. You know, Donna and I are coming up on our 100th episode. I can't believe it. And for the 100th episode, we're going to do something really special. First off, we have a contest for you, the listener. The Cell Phone Photo Backyard Wildlife Contests. Take a picture of some wildlife in your backyard, at a zoo, at your nature preserve, with your cell phone, and send it to us. First prize is going to get a Varmint's prize pack, including an original signed piece of artwork of your favorite Varmint by Blazing Caribou Studios podcaster and artist Phil Rude. Second and third prizes are going to get some cool stuff as well. We have very specific rules, so go to blazingcariboustudios.com slash varmintscontest. That's blazingcariboustudios.com slash varmintscontest. Or if you're a member of the Varmints Discussion Group on Facebook, we'll post the rules there as well. And we'll announce the winners of that contest on our 100th episode, where we'll be talking about emus, and we'll be joined by Corbin Maxey. Corbin Maxey is a nationally recognized animal nerd, biologist, and television personality. He's been on some television shows you might have heard of, The Today Show, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Inside Edition, and The Martha Stewart Show. We're really looking forward to episode 100, and we hope you are too. You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. You know, Florida is just the gift that keeps on giving, right? Today, it's an iguana in a toilet. Oh, this come time, on. <laughs> I can't make that? this up, Paul. What? This time, it was a couple of women to the rescue. The now's Nicole <laughs> Grigg caught up with them today. Came here to save me. The two and a oh half God. minute video oh. right, just get the net. is a version of what would you do? Holy, that's yes. what I said. It's freaking huge. I'm clean my bathroom. The video centered around a toilet in Danny Carvin's bathroom. You never see her because she's the one recording. So I sprayed the top of the toilet and the second I opened this, I jumped back and screamed because I seen a tail around the corner of the toilet. <laughs> the Palmetto mother, terrified of lizards, came face to face with her fear last night. And it's green. I hate them. I don't, I don't want them anywhere near me. The kids think it's funny to try and throw them on me. I don't <laughs> like lizards. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I have failed once again to become an animal expert. Today, we are talking about the iguana. <laughs> yes, we are talking about iguanas today. But first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Well, iguanas are commonly found in Mexico, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean, and in toilets in Florida, as you heard in the beginning. When she, the newscaster said the palmetto mother, I immediately switched from a human to a, like a palmetto bug, a cockroach type, <laughs> who was talking about her children throwing the iguana at her. Yeah. And so now I have to do a cartoon of the mother. I don't know. There's something wrong with that. <laughs> 
My brain is broken. Oh, what's an iguana doing in the toilet, Donna? I, I do not know. Besides the backstroke. <laughs> well, they might be doing toilet things. Yeah, well, they're trying to get out, actually. Huh. Well, that would make sense. They got in there from the other way. Presumably. Yes. Yes. Rats and snakes, they can find their way into toilets from time to time, but they come in from... They, they go in from the top of the toilet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they come in through the house and they get into the toilet. Iguanas are perfectly adapted oh, okay. for plumbing infiltration. So they're really good climbers. They get up on your roof and they crawl down through the vent pipe. And they navigate their way through the pipes and they wind up in your toilet from the plumbing. Aha! Uh-huh. Yes. If you do not have a septic tank and you share the sewer system with your neighbor, an iguana can crawl through their vent pipe and into your toilet feasibly. This is Iguanas doing Mission Impossible stuff, and we're just interfering with their mission. Oh, I, I wish I had Mission Impossible music. I don't think we can license it, though. No. There you go. <laughs> Imagine this little iguana <laughs> scuttling through the pipe. Yeah. <laughs> so New York City sewers may not have alligators, but South Florida sewers do have iguanas that can be up to six feet long, and they all want out. I don't blame them. Yeah. So if you're keeping a list of reasons not to move to Florida, whether it's the <laughs> daily summertime lightning storms, the hurricanes, the meth enthusiasts, elderly drivers, the mosquitoes the size of Volkswagens, the oppressive heat, you can also add toilet iguanas to that list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> toilet iguana. Toilet iguana is my 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 punk. Uh, <laughs> it's it's my punk tribute band. Toilet, toilet iguana. Just sounds perfect. That's one of those yet things that hasn't happened to me yet down here. I haven't seen a Florida panther in the wild, and I have not yet had an iguana in my toilet. <laughs> I don't think I'm an official Florida man yet until I get an iguana in my toilet. (laughs) Oh, that's fabulous. And with that, we're going to give you guys a reminder to go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmanspodcast, all one word, and at varmanspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, suggestions. We run a Pinterest board for every episode. The link to that will be at the bottom of our show notes. We also now have merchandise, so if you go to tpublic.com and just put varmints into the search engine, you will find our stuff. If you like our show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast where everywhere the podcasts are found and word of mouth is the best way to help us grow. And speaking of reminders, we would love for you to suggest animals for us to talk about. Some of our best episodes have come about because of listener suggestions. You can send those to us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com. We schedule episodes up to two months in advance, so it may take a little while to get to your suggestion. And episodes typically take about two weeks to write, research, record, and edit. Living animals and current ecology only, please. And we thank you so much for your patience. Now let's learn about iguanas. Hey! Hey! Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna.
We are talking about iguanas today. Iguanas are herbivorous lizards that are native to tropical areas of Mexico, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean, as we said. And they are commonly kept as pets in other parts of the world. We'll talk about that a little bit later. There are two recognized species of the genus iguana, the green iguana and the lesser Antillean iguana. In addition to these two species, there are several other reptiles in the family Iguanidae whose names can include the word iguana, like the well-known marine iguana. Iguanas can grow to be 1.5 to 1.8 meters long, or about 5 to 6 feet long, including their tails. They also have a row of spines along their backs and under their chins. The Taino people are one of the indigenous peoples of the Caribbean, and they called the lizard Iwana. The Spanish form of that word iguana first appeared in the mid-16th century. We've been calling them that ever since. Males, females, and juveniles don't really have special names. They're all just called iguanas. And a group of iguanas is called a slaughter. (laughs) (laughs) I also was reading in an article about they were uh, marine iguanas are called a mess of iguanas. (laughs) A mess of iguanas. I don't know which one I like better, a mess or a slaughter. That's a whole mess of iguanas. (laughs) I think mess is nicer. (laughs) It's funnier. A slaughter is pretty good, though. But if you look at the marine iguanas all hanging out together on the beach, there's like hundreds of them out there. You can tell why some scientist was like, well, that's a whole mess of iguanas. That's a mess. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, speaking of marine iguanas, I just wanted to talk briefly about one of their adaptations today. But to mention very briefly also, marine iguanas are not just the only iguana that hangs out in the ocean. They are the only lizard in the world that is a marine animal. Wow. There are no living creatures that are lizards that are also marine animals. There are other lizards that interact with the ocean a little bit, like Komodo dragons and stuff like that. But these are the only ones that are true marine animals, meaning that they live and they eat and hang out in the ocean all the time. They pretty much eat algaes, red and green algaes that they eat off of the rocks under the water. So they, they are true marine animals. Now, one behavior that they do that is sort of interesting is that due to this, their feeding behavior, they ingest a lot of extra salts. It's mainly sodium chloride. There's some potassium in there as well. But they have to deal with this excess amount of salt. And they have a unique solution. There was a book on iguana biology that's quoted in the article that I was looking at that sums it up pretty nicely, so I'll read you the quote directly. To cope with this high-salt diet, the marine iguana uses large cranial salt glands that excrete most of the sodium, potassium, and chloride ingested. Forceful expulsion of the secreted fluid is the cause of dramatic snorting and sneezing observed in these animals. So they sneeze the salt out of their faces, right out of their noses. (laughs) (laughs) And you can see these giant salt crystals, like, erupting from their faces. It's hilarious. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's really neat. It's water with, like, giant salt crystals in it, so it's fabulous. That's awesome. Yeah, but they've developed that over time, over, you know, millions of years to deal with the extra salt. They they are really cool. Out of all the iguanas, I thought they were probably the neatest one just because of all their little individual adaptations. But they can submerge for like 30 minutes, no problem. Oh, yeah. And they don't really have any predators to speak of. They have to deal with sea lions 
basically bullying them on the way back and forth from their rock, but that's it. <laughs> the sea lions just kind of pick on them. They pull their tails and stuff. And they're like, eh, oh, see you, iguana. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> we, we've done a lot of really silent animals lately, and I like to play the sounds that animals make, but we've just done so many quiet ones. I mean, a lot of animals are pretty quiet. So. Yeah, and iguanas are no different. They're pretty mm-hmm. quiet, too. But they have to communicate with each other and with us. And it's good to know how iguanas communicate with us and with each other because iguanas can really put a hurtin' on you or your pet. Despite the fact that they are herbivores, they have really, really powerful jaws and serrated teeth and you don't want to get bit by one. Mm-mm. That doesn't sound fun. No. So the most noticeable thing that iguanas do is head bobbing. And both males and females do it. And generally, that's a way to let everyone and everything around them know that they're in charge and that this is their territory. So a really slow up and down bobbing usually means that the iguana is letting you know that it knows that you're there and it wants you to know that it's there. Mm-hmm. A faster motion indicates that it might be agitated and that could be like a sign of aggression. And if an iguana really doesn't want to be messed with, it may include a shutter bob which is a side-to-side motion of its head. It's like saying, no. (laughs) And that's the one you want to watch out for if if an iguana is just going, no. Yeah. Uh, Posturing. Posturing is never a good thing. That is when the iguana kind of raises itself up on its feet and puffs its body out to make itself look larger. And this may also be accompanied by tail wagging and head bobbing and open mouth, maybe, and an extended dewlap. Male iguanas have what is called a dewlap, and a lot of animals have this thing. It's a flap of skin that hangs beneath the lower jaw or neck of all kinds of animals. Right. But the iguana has special muscles around the throat and larynx that allow it to extend and retract the dewlap like a little flag. Huh. Yes. How about that? An extended dewlap can mean all kinds of things. It can mean, hey, let's make little iguanas to nearby females. Uh, if it's a, accompanied by head bobbing or posturing, it this you know it says this is my territory and I'll fight you for it. Or it can be just a way to adjust their body temperature, right. like everything is just fine and I'm just trying to cool down and I'm just kind of letting my dewlap out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So a wild iguana will display some or all of these around humans, and even pet iguanas can get cranky and they do these things. Reptile owners will tell you that sometimes their pets can kind of wake up on the wrong side of the bed and not want your hands all over them. Iguanas do not want to bite you, but they will if they have no other choice. What they would rather do is the most obvious way of saying, leave me alone. They will whip you with their tail and run away. I have actually experienced this very thing. I approached a wild iguana a short distance away from my home just to check it out. I wanted to see how close I could get to it. It postured and it whapped me on my leather shoe with its tail and it ran away. And I was really, really glad I was wearing a leather shoe because I could feel that tail through my shoe. And it it was, it didn't hurt, but I could tell that if it was my bare foot, it would have left a mark. Huh. Yes. That's we a pretty powerful here. tail. It is. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, iguanas don't really make noise. So that's how they communicate with each other and with the world around them. Wow. Yeah. That sounds... That sounds really interesting. <laughs> I think I sh- I've seen lots of videos of iguanas while we were doing research for this, but I never ran across anybody talking about that. So now I need to go back and watch one of the old videos and look specifically for that to see what they're they're saying to each other while we're taping them. 
Yeah. Disclaimer time. The Vomits Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Don and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway. I couldn't really find anything about intelligence on iguanas. No, I couldn't find any specific studies or anything, but I did watch quite a few videos of iguana owners saying, this is how you train your iguana. And I thought, oh, are they trainable? Because we've talked before about how trainability and and problem solving are not necessarily the same thing. They don't necessarily indicate huge intelligence. But right. there's lots of different factors that go into intelligence. But I was like, well, it's got to be not too bad, like a four or a five if they're trainable. The thing is that every video I watched was just the trainer or owner basically showing you how to hand feed your iguana, how to get them used to just hanging around you. It's not like they were training them to do things. They were just training them to be comfortable with the owner. Right. And that's about it. So I think I'm going to stick them at about a three. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a surprising amount of videos on YouTube about how to toilet train your iguana. Mm -hmm. And I watched a couple of them and it was basically hold your iguana over the toilet until it goes. Yeah. Which is not really training. It's just sort of like more like, um, I think my iguana has to poop, so I'll just make it hover over the toilet and be patient. Yeah. Well, maybe that maybe they're training them that you can go ahead and go if I'm holding you over the toilet. I don't know. I don't know. It's not like they're hopping up on the toilet and pooping in it, though. I know that. No, no. They don't look like they're doing a whole heck of a lot. So. No. What did you... They're, you gave them a three? Iguanas are really, really good at being lizards and yeah. making baby lizards. Yep. And, and uh, they are super good at it. They're very adaptive and... I don't think they actually need to be that smart. So. No. So what ar- what arbitrary number did you give them? A three? I think I'll give them like arbitrarily a three. Yeah, I'll, I'll go along with that. I'll go so, along with that. They don't need I to be too smart. I would have boosted it to an arbitrary four if they were actually trainable, but it doesn't look like they're... And if iguana owners, if you if anybody out there owns iguanas and you're like, no, no way, I trained little Timmy, my iguana, to do a two-step and I he wears a top hat and everything you know <laughs> definitely send us an email we just weren't Please. able to find anything so yeah so three is what I'm guessing works for me yeah all right we are going to talk about iguanas and pop culture and a couple other things but we're going to do that right after this mm-hmm. do you like sci-fi ai and technology do you enjoy going on tangents and down random rabbit holes of a subject then join me and my friends each week on brokebot mountain as some artificially intelligent people attempt to walk through a maze that explores themes of existence and free thought in sci-fi tv movies and books the conversations are unique and bring an unusual perspective to the genre and can literally go anywhere and we do mean anywhere you can find us at BlazingCaribouStudios.com or look for BrokeBot Mountain on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey there, everyone. Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you. And they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time. On movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games. 
All right, I'm going to start the pop culture segment with this. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, it's alive. A gigantic beast stalking the earth, crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror, raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Incredible titan of terror, wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet flames cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So Godzilla is a monster originating from a series of films from Japan. The character first appeared in Ishiro Honda's 1954 film Godzilla, and you just heard the trailer for that. Even though Godzilla is a gender-neutral monster, it's always referred to as it and not a he or a she. Godzilla <laughs> is often called, as you heard repeatedly, the king of the monsters. Right. So far, Godzilla has appeared in 29 films produced by Japanese film company Toho, three Hollywood films and numerous video games, novels, comic books, television shows, and toys. And a song. And a song. Yes, go, go, Godzilla. <laughs> sometimes Godzilla is depicted as a destructive enemy. Sometimes it's depicted as defending people from even bigger monster threats and then returning to the sea. Godzilla has even fought characters from other characters in crossover media, such as King Kong, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers. Godzilla, or Gojira in Japanese, is a portmanteau of the Japanese words for gorilla and whale, gorira and kujira. Mm -hmm. Depending on the film, Godzilla's origin story varies. Generally, it's depicted as an enormous, violent, prehistoric sea monster that is awakened and empowered by nuclear radiation. And if you're wondering, like, well, this is about iguanas, why the heck are you talking about Godzilla? The beginning sequence of the 2014 Godzilla movie shows marine iguanas swimming around kind of hinting that Godzilla is perhaps a mutant form or a or related to one of these animals. So it, there's not very many iguanas in pop culture, so this might be a stretch, but it's a good, you know, it's a good reason to talk about it. Godzilla. I like Godzilla. Godzilla's appearance has varied greatly over the years, but usually it's a kind of a dinosaur-like creature with big muscular arms, spikes on its back, and a furrowed brow. Godzilla's size has increased over the years because in the original 1954 film, uh, Godzilla was about 50 meters or 164 feet tall. But what happened was the buildings in Tokyo became bigger and taller, so that Godzilla had to become bigger and taller too. Right. So in the 2014 Hollywood film, he was about twice the original size. In the 2016 Toho film, he's about three times the original size. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Godzilla's <laughs> abilities have also changed and varied over time. Godzilla's atomic breath is always a constant, but other abilities Godzilla has displayed over the years are various martial arts, <laughs> underwater breathing, regeneration, magnetism, precognition, uh, <laughs> fireballs, an electric bite, superhuman speed, eye beams, and even flight. So I guess depending on the film, you can just give Godzilla whatever power you want to, as long as it kind of fits in with the story. <laughs> yes. Godzilla has a distinctive roar, which was created by a composer, and he produced that sound by rubbing a pine tar resin-coated glove along the string of a double bass 
and then slowing down the playback. Here is Godzilla's iconic roar. Godzilla remains one of the most recognizable symbols of Japanese pop culture worldwide, even in the United States, despite the fact that it was originally created as a metaphor for the United States, as well as kind of an allegory of nuclear weapons in general. To encourage tourism in 2015, the Shinjuku Ward of Tokyo, which was flattened in no less than three Toho movies by Godzilla, <laughs> named it an official cultural ambassador and an, an official citizen of the country of Japan. Nice. Yeah. Good going, Godzilla. <laughs> I love Godzilla. Or go, go, Godzilla, I should say. Yeah, I grew up on those movies. Yep, me too. Yep, we used awesome. to sit there and eat our Cheerios and watch Godzilla fight in Mothra. And yeah, whatever. Saturday morning creature feature. The creature feature. <laughs> right on. Well, my guy is way less exciting, but, and I have to tell you, I'd never even known about this guy, so. <laughs> I didn't either. There seemed to be several series of cartoons in the 90s that I completely missed, and it might be because I was in my 20s and just basically running around having a good time and really not absorbing a whole lot of television. So, <laughs> <laughs> But the guy I'm going to talk about is called Roderick Lizard. Roderick Lizard is a character that was a, as far as I can tell, he was in an episode of the Bonkers animated television series that aired in America from... September 4th, 1993 to February 23rd, 1994. And then it seems to have had a syndicated run that was part of the Disney afternoon, but they took it off the schedule in 2004. So, okay. But the premise of the series is that Bonkers D. Bobcat <laughs> is a bobcat who is a popular cartoon star. And so the whole thing is about their fictional star, their studio, their uh, their TV studio. And they shoot shows and there's lots and lots of characters. But I do not remember any of these characters. I don't remember the show. I don't remember anything about it. But it looks pretty cute. And Roderick Lizard is one of the characters that's on one of the shows at least. We're gonna play a little clip. He's in jail for some reason. It isn't explained in the cartoon why he's in jail. He just is there. Sure. <laughs> okay. Some lemon for my tea? Keep whining and you ain't gonna live long enough to get no lemon. Don't you mean I am not going to live long enough to get any lemon? Threats should be grammatically correct. Avoid double negatives. Tuttle, I pray you remember to bring my bail. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I meant bail as in money, not bail as in hay, you half-wit on a half-shell. Now leave. Your very presence is making me nauseous. <laughs> the, the valet that's with him is, or valet, I guess it's pronounced, is Tuttle Turtle. So he's a cartoon turtle that is his valet. And oh. his gentleman's personal gentleman, as we should say, in the <laughs> P.G. Woodhouse novels. But yeah, that's all we got about Roderick Lizard. Now, I have questions. I've This research left me with way more questions about Lot Roderick Lizard than answers. And that is, why is he even British? I don't understand. This is, I don't know. <laughs> this is a New World animal. So, I, I mean, he should be South American or something. Yeah. <laughs> 
It was a that was an artistic decision. That was a. Uh, that's what that uh, was. He should be like a South American. Uh, maybe he he would be a, a. I don't know. I can't. I'm just I'm just riffing. You can just cut all this out. But. No, it's fine. Anyway, so that was him. Uh, I have no idea anything else about him. There is nothing about him. Even on his character page, it's like, he is a guy that was on this cartoon. Yep. <laughs> and that is the desert of pop culture as far as iguanas are concerned. <laughs> Godzilla and that guy, Roderick. That's it. That's, That's all it. I was able to find. So. <laughs> well, wouldn't you know I have this lovely pop pie ready to go in the oven. Isn't that gorgeous? Tell me you wouldn't put that in your food box. Mmm, iguana pot pie. Maybe. So, is this a, is this a cooking segment that we're gonna play? Yeah, we're gonna hear from a chef who cooks in a restaurant called Mio in Washington D.C. We, as a country, we we import iguanas for consumption from Puerto Rico. They're not legal to eat in Puerto Rico yet because it's a question of salmonella. But right. we have really good salmonella practices uh, salmonella, salmonella avoidance practices here and i guess they just don't feel in puerto rico that they that their facilities are up to scratch or i just don't know it's a i just don't know i don't know the details about why particularly there's a difference in the law but they are allowed to export them to us and um we are starting to eat them apparently and they're not that bad okay so the the little clip that you sent me is called yum guana yeah, I named it Yamguana. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, I haven't heard this yet, so let's play this. My name is Roberto Hernandez. I'm the executive chef at Mio Restaurant in Washington, D.C., and today we're cooking iguanas. <laughs> it smelled like fish. It felt like chicken in their hands, but it looked like red meat, so it's a completely different experience for me as a chef in the kitchen. <laughs> Does it taste like chicken? and all the things that you can do with, with the iguana and all the different flavors you can develop, I think it's, it's a pretty good item in a menu. Okay. Iguanas, for one thing, it's, it's very well known, it's very well documented that iguanas are a very good source of protein. Very lean, it's very high in protein, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very low fat meat. Iguana like can be prepared, fried, stewed. We can do iguana popcorn, grill it, uh, roast it. It's all about the imagination of whoever is doing it. <laughs> this iguana meat we're gonna eat today, it, come, it comes from Canovanas, Puerto Rico. It has all the FDA licenses and all the permits it needs to be exporting the, this item. I like the music. If I didn't know if iguana, I probably wouldn't have been so skittish. But I'm trying it, and I actually really like it. And for me, it had more of a consistency of pork. No, but it's nice that you can have, you know, these different kind of textures in the same kind of meat. So it really gives it different flavors. This too, uh, very good. Fantastic. This was a great experience. It was beyond what I ever thought it would be. The meat itself was really, really tender, which I didn't expect at all. The popcorn chicken is delicious. I mean, it's not chicken, actually. It's um, iguana. I really like it. And uh, if I can go for seconds, I'll... <laughs> yeah, it tastes like chicken. I but knew it. It sounds like the tester table really enjoyed the iguana in all the different forms they were served. So I think I would definitely try it. Sure, why not? Yeah. They're not endangered. I, I would mm. do it. That was good. I like the, uh, I like the guy... 
it, it almost it was almost like that scene in Forrest Gump where it's like you can have fried iguana, popcorn iguana. Yeah, that's iguana, the chef. <laughs> <laughs> baked iguana, iguana chili, iguana stew, <laughs> iguana sandwich, grilled iguana, grilled whatever iguana. you want, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would definitely try it. Well, they're an invasive species in Puerto Rico, and the, I saw a number of videos, and I'll put at least one of them, and then you can go into an iguana vortex if you want to on YouTube, but basically they are invasive in Puerto Rico and there are farmers there that run around and just kill them for free so that they don't eat all of their crops because sure. apparently they are a very, very bad crop pest. They can destroy a crop in very, very little time. So they just go through and they kill them, kill them off, and then they ship into us and we eat them. Yes. Yum. Well, that kind of ties into my animal fact. Let's play this. Paul, Donna, it's me, Tove. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Yep. Of course it is. Let's help you win that next trivia night. Or just sound smarter than the rest of the room. With this, the Animal Fact of the Week. So you mentioned that iguanas are invasive, and they're invasive here in Florida too. Mm -hmm. Do you know the difference between non-native and invasive? Invasive are things that are extremely dangerous to native populations of animals, right? Right, yeah, and they disrupt like yeah, agriculture they disrupt and the stuff ecology. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. non-native species just kind of are there. They kind of hang out. They don't do any damage. Kind of like um, armadillos here in Florida. We have armadillos. They're not native, but they don't really do any harm other than digging a hole in your yard any, every once in a while. They don't really compete with any other animal for food. They don't really do any damage. Right. Florida, where I live, has the most invasive species in the United States. So you hear a lot about Burmese pythons, but those are pretty much all in the Everglades where nobody lives. But green iguanas are all over the place. They were mm -hmm. first reported in the 1960s off the southeastern coast of Florida, and they have since spread all over southern Florida. Hmm. There's kind of a line that they don't cross because anything above that line, it gets too cold for them. And a few might kind of stray further north, but they don't really, there's not enough of them going up there to cause any sort of like population growth. Right. They're all kind of down here in the southern part. Sure. So green iguanas can cause damage to residential and commercial landscape vegetation. They're often considered a nuisance by property owners. Iguanas are attracted to trees with foliage or flowers, most fruits, and almost any vegetable. They will eat all of it. Some green iguanas cause damage to infrastructure because they'll dig burrows that erode and collapse sidewalks, foundations, seawalls, berms, and canal banks. Green, igu green iguanas poop everywhere. They leave droppings on decks, moored boats, seawalls, porches, decks, pool platforms, and inside swimming pools. They love going potty in the swimming pool. <laughs> Even though they're primarily herbivores, researchers found the remains of tree snails in the stomachs of green iguanas in a couple of the state parks, and that suggests that the iguanas are a threat to native and endangered species of tree snails. In another state park, green iguanas were consuming nicker bean, which is a host plant of the endangered Miami blue butterfly. So they're, they're really causing a lot of damage to things that don't need a whole lot more damage to right. done to them. They're wreaking havoc. They're wreaking havoc. And as is the case with other reptiles, green iguanas can also transmit the infectious bacterium Salmonella to humans through contact with water or surfaces that have been contaminated by their feces. Oh, lovely. Yeah, bleh. Ugh. 
There are several dedicated iguana removal services in Florida. They only remove iguanas. Wow, you can make a living just removing iguanas. Absolutely. That is crazy. You can also turn in unwanted pet iguanas to the Fish and Wildlife Commission, but any iguanas that are captured will not be released back into the wild. They are euthanized. Yeah. There's a ton of them. They're doing a lot of damage, and you'd think that these would be valid reasons to have more regulations on owning one as a pet, but no permit is needed, and if you have the money, you can go right to the pet store and buy a green iguana, and that's a great idea. Right, Donna? Well, it might not be the best idea, and <laughs> I went ahead and found an article by some people that are experienced reptile keepers that I'll connect on the show notes. And they wrote an article called 11 Things to Consider Before Adopting a Pet Green Iguana. So I will summarize what their thinking is for you. Sure. So number one, they get very big. So they say, uh, you know, the ones you buy at the pet store are tiny and cute because they're young. They're usually barely the size of an iPhone. But the next thing you know, <laughs> they are rivaling a Galaxy Note. And before you know it, you can start measuring it with an iPad. And then, in captivity, a healthy green iguana can reach over six feet in length and can weigh up to 20 pounds. And those <laughs> are alligator standards, friend. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Huge. And the bigger the animal, the bigger the poops, too. Yeah, for sure. So they need a lot of space. So they say they get really big. So what? Maybe you have plenty of space in your house, or maybe you can adapt your apartment life to living with an iguana. Hate to break it to you, but adult green iguanas take up more <laughs> space than you imagine, and they absolutely must have their own dedicated territory to, to roam freely. And right. they're arboreal, so they need height so that they can satisfy their natural urge to climb. So that basically means that you've got to have like a whole garden patio area to give to them. They really need it. Right. And then wow. they're native to tropical climates, as you said. So they ha that means that their environment has to be consistently heated between 80 and 90 degrees during the daytime and 75 degrees all year round. So you have to be able to guarantee that kind of a temperature all the time. And I know that I couldn't do that in Colorado. Right. Not without some special uh, stuff going on. Number four, they can break your arm. Not the most pleasant thought, but if you threaten them, they can do some serious damage with their de facto sense system, their tails. You were talking about their the, the one that whacked your shoe yeah. out in, in Florida. Yep. Yeah, they can break your arm. With yeah. the, A fully grown iguana can absolutely shatter your arm by a tail slap. So. Yeah, the one that whacked me was only about two feet long. Right. And that right. I could tell that that would hurt if that hit my skin. So they point out that these could be devastating consequences and even fatal if you throw a human child or a small pet into the mix. They are oh, not carnivores, but they will lash out if they feel threatened, and that can be dangerous. Uh, number five is they live a really long life. They can live 12 to 15 years, which is about your average, like, smallish dog lifespan, but they can live up to 20 years. So you're dedicating 20 years of your life to this animal at the most. That's a lot. That's a long Sure time. it is. They're not cuddly. They <laughs> have pudgy little bodies, and they, they, <laughs> they might scream a variation of cuddle me human, but they don't like to be cuddled. They Most of them are going to be, you know, anti-being held and stuff. A lot of people can train <laughs> them to 
sit up on their shoulders and stuff like that. But they say properly holding an iguana is an art form in and of itself. And it's going to take a while before it submits to such unnatural contact. That's the kind of training <laughs> they were doing on the video as videos I was watching was training your iguana to interact with you. Which right. is, that's, that's pretty much all you can do. She says, also, they're kind of boring. <laughs> Baby iguanas are quick, and they can be extremely entertaining to watch, but just like your favorite 1970s action hero, they become docile over time <laughs> and transform into extremely lazy creatures. So they say they spend the majority of their time basking or sleeping. They won't yep. play games. They won't dance for you. They don't want to go for walks. Uh, so the fancy iguana harness you were suckered into buying was pretty much a waste of money. And good luck getting your iguana to wear it, by the way. <laughs> 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 uh, their tails can fall off, which they say, you know, it's completely natural, but the replacement is never as good as the first one. <laughs> They're strict what? vegetarians, they, so they require a daily diet of fresh leafy greens and fruit, which can be pretty expensive. They don't, they don't thrive well on a store-bought sort of um, reptile food if there is any, if if that's available to you. They don't, they don't do well with that. It has to be fresh. Wow. So. Iguana care isn't something we typically learn growing up, and since they are a rather unusual pet to have, common knowledge with the topic is in short supply. And if you're going to perform plenty of, you're going to, bleh, you are going to have to perform plenty of research before adopting an iguana. And this article can only be the tip of the iceberg. So right. they recommend that you contact the Green Iguana Society, and then also get the book Iguanas for Dummies. Both of those sources are going to be completely helpful for you if you think you want to have an iguana. And then the last thing they say is they're not dinosaurs. No matter how much you want them to be, they are not and never will be dinosaurs. Dinosaurs have been extinct for about 65 million years, and your green iguana will always be a common lizard and nothing more, nothing less. Right. So. If you want to own a dinosaur, get get chickens. You can get a bird. Yeah, Any get kind a bird. Of little bird. There you go. <laughs> Even teeny finches are dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. We've said it before, like with exotic pets. If you want to own an exotic pet, just do your homework, do your research. Yeah. Maybe the best thing is if you have a friend or a friend of a friend that has one of these pets that you want to own, go over to their house and get to know them and, and, and you know, experience all the wonderful sights and smells that you're going to be getting into if you have one of these pets and, and ask some questions and look at the kind of the dirty side of owning one of these pets and... Everything yeah. that I read said, if you want to own an iguana, don't buy a bearded dragon instead. Yeah, that's that's what I've seen as well. And a lot of the training videos, they're like, they're not like bearded dragons. They won't do this and that and the other thing that cool bearded dragons do. So it sounds like you, if you want an iguana, you actually want a bearded dragon mostly for the most yes. part. So. Yeah. And you know what? Most zoos like maybe have an iguana in a, you know, a little pen running around. You can go check it out and you can just let the, the people at the zoo worry about feeding and taking care of it and getting whipped by the tail and stuff. And cleaning up its poop. Cleaning up its big And dealing poops. with its six-foot adult length. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're the best pets, but uh, that's just my opinion, man, so. <laughs> oh, let's that's awesome. move it along. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We do appreciate it. This podcast has been brought to you 
with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod, our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Andrea Freitas, and Stacy and Frosty. Thanks so much to you, the Blazing Caribou Studios Patreon supporter. We do appreciate your contributions and donations every month so that we can keep bringing you this podcast. And thank you, too, if you've bought a, a coffee mug or a shirt or a tote bag from Tee Public. We appreciate that as well. We don't do commercials. We don't tell you about, like, food companies or mattress companies or anything like that. We just want you to go and, you know, get a shirt or get a coffee mug. We're happy with that. Yeah. And uh, so, thanks. It's the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat eight years of age or younger that wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmanspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it very easy for you and your Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast, so let's give it a listen. Yes, this week's Rugrat is Jareth. Jareth has something to say about iguanas. This is Jareth, and I'm five years old, and I'm going to talk about iguanas. What do you know about iguanas? <laughs> Do they crawl? They do crawl. <laughs> um, do they... Are they green? Yeah, they are green. Where do they live? Um, in the beach, maybe? On the beach? Sure. That'd be a funny place to find an iguana. <laughs> in the jungle? Maybe in the jungle. That's a good idea. Would you like to have an iguana as a pet? No, you wouldn't. Yeah. No. What would you no. do? No. Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Jared. I know that they are. Hmm. Do they do they go in the ocean? I don't think they go in the ocean. Uh, nah. Well, I'm guessing that's all. Okay. <laughs> I'll just hit done. Okay. Yep, that was it. He was done. <laughs> that's right. Well, Jareth, they do go in the ocean if they're a marine iguana, so you were right about that. Yep, you were. Yeah. But don't have one as a pet. Like, maybe. No. No. Nah. <laughs> nah. Thank you so much, Samantha. That was Jareth's mom. Thanks for yeah. recording that for us. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Hey, be nice to animals, you guys. <laughs>